Well, good morning, church. A few weeks ago, I woke up in the morning after a very disturbed night's sleep where my two littlest children, I think, had been playing kind of tag team as to try and be awake for the entire evening. And I was feeling very grumpy and um, anxious to get them out of the door as quickly as possible to nursery and school. And I knew that the little ones were going to be outside all day, so I had very specific clothes that I wanted to put on them. And if anyone knows three-year-olds, they'll know that they don't like anything specific, where there's no choice and there's no control. So as the morning went on and I'm putting sun cream on, we're getting the bug spray on, we're getting the clothes on, um, I think there were, there were a few words exchanged with one another in our household, I'll be honest. There was, um, there was a bit of shouting, there was a bit of how do we move this along and get quickly out the door. So to my relief, I dropped everyone off at school and nursery. And I came here and I went next door to check my emails before the, my first meeting of the day. And I opened up this email from Ian that said, uh, here's the next preaching series on James. And I thought, oh, that's exciting. I scrolled down to see where my name was and it says, Emma taming the tongue <laughs> like oh lord please help me <laughs> and I said lord I can't I can't preach this <laughs> I was like I am not going to stand up there until you do something in my life because like all of us there are spaces and places in my life where I get anxious where I get afraid where I get stressed and the things that come out are not what I want to be saying so I, I wandered around the corner to my, to my meeting, which was at Blend, and as I, um, I thought, okay, let me have a look at the verses. Um, and I, I knew roughly what, the, what, what it was about, but as I opened up the verses, I read this in verse 1. Not many among you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. <laughs> And at this point, I think there were a few real tears. <laughs> I tried to gather myself together before my meeting, and I repeated again, Lord, please help me. Um, and so I'm going to read the rest of the verses this morning, and then I'll, I'll tell you a, a little bit of story of, of how that developed. Verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by the small spark. The tongue is also a fire a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Amen. 
I remember a season in my life when these words in James would have landed very differently uh, to the way that they have in these past few weeks, where they've both challenged and encouraged me and rebuked me. (laughs) Um, But initially they, they land with that old familiar feeling of condemnation, the not good enough, that I must try harder, or who are you to stand up there and speak about that? All of it. Perhaps these are some of the things that might go through our heads on a day-to-day basis. So if James's words didn't make you feel bad enough last week, then I'm sorry that I've landed more on you, more bad news. But I had a picture last week in my mind as I thought about this, almost of a balloon that as we hear these words and we sometimes receive them with a kind of side-serving of condemnation, that it feels like this balloon that can't take any more pressure is just about to burst. And rather than me sticking the pin in or, or, or keeping going until it does burst, I had this vision of, you know that um, when, when I was younger, my dad showed me this really cool trick where you put the little bit of sellotape on it and then you do it with a pin and it's nice and gentle. And that was kind of a feel what my heart did as I read these verses and as I worked through it. The, um, the Bible Project summary of the book of James has this really lovely line at the end, and it says, and this is a beautifully crafted punch in the gut for those who want to follow Jesus. I think we can all relate to that. And I suspect I'm not the only person with a story to tell like I started with this morning. Um, for we all stumble in many ways. If we're never at fault in what we say, then I suspect we're in one of three places. Either we're perfect, as James said, and we're able to keep our whole body in check, or we're deceiving ourselves, or thirdly, perhaps we're just not spending enough time around other people. I heard a a pastor preach recently, and he said, um, he was talking about the fruits of the Spirit, and he said, you know, if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't need patience. Sometimes we can kid ourselves on. And it's nice to know that we're not alone in a struggle sometimes, to know that the person standing up here doesn't have it all together. But I think sometimes we've decided that's the best that we're going to get that we share stories with our friends and our life groups, and we might feel better for a little while, but it doesn't really leave us with much hope. If we're honest, what we really want is a testimony. And as I searched uh, through the scriptures for God to help me with these 12 verses, I wasn't finding much encouragement from within chapter 3 itself. Verse 8 leaves us with this statement, No human being can tame the tongue. Well, we might as well go home now. And as Christians, we know the Sunday school answer. We know that if humans can't tame the tongue, then the answer is obviously Jesus. But I wonder if, like me, despite knowing that, you sometimes still struggle with that practical outworking of it. So first, as we kind of add pressure to this balloon, I want to look at what the stakes are for this. How important is the impact of what we speak? Why it's not just enough for us to know that we're not alone but we have to find a way to tighten the rein on our tongue. Uh, Next slide, please. Um, Thomas, thank you. Now, James uses three separate illustrations to make his point about the power of the tongue for both good and evil. Firstly, a horse, such a powerful animal that can be restrained or subdued by such a tiny bit in its mouth. Or a huge ship that is able to be steered with a small rudder in the face, even in the face of opposition and strong winds. And lastly, this in verse 5. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, 
sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Our tongue has the ability to set the whole course of our life. He even goes as far as saying that some of our words are set on fire by hell itself. We have a wood-burning stove in our house, and I've been using it more often recently as I'm in that funny stage of I'm not quite ready to give in and put the heating on yet, but sometimes when I stoke it, there's little bits that come out and they fall in the hearth. And what happens is they simply go glow for a while, and then they go out. The danger with our words is that they're not always falling on a fireproof exterior. It's easy for us to say, sticks and stones may break my bones and names will never hurt me. But some of our words fall in the already dry and parched land of people's hearts. And then like wildfires, they consume everything in their path. And they cause much more damage than we could ever imagine. What started as a tiny spark is fueled by the wind of the one whose mission it is to steal, to kill and to destroy And whilst we might only be responsible for that tiny spark, the consequences are such that they're no longer within our control, despite our best efforts. And the Bible has a lot to say about the tongue, particularly in the book of Proverbs, and I'd encourage you to go away and have a a quick Google search um, that will bring a lot of stuff up that will keep you going for a while. But we have to be aware of the impact of of our words, even the smallest things, throw away comments, the tiniest bit of gossip or slander, lies, speaking badly of others, insults, and even our banter and jokes. I'm sure many of us were told um, when we were younger that the words we speak are like toothpaste when it comes out the tube. Once it's out, we can't get it back in again. Well, as a parent of three young children, I can admit that I spend more time than I would like trying to get toothpaste back in the tube. And you know, actually, if it's a little bit, you can kind of do that thing where you like suck it back in again. <laughs> but actually, it leaves a mess. And on the first day of school this year, um, one, one uh, child put, got toothpaste on Freya's uniform, brand new school uniform, and I had scrubbed it up and cleaned it. And we went to take the obligatory first day of school in front of the in, in front of the front door picture. And as I look back in the picture, I realize that the toothpaste mark is still there, even though I have tried to clean it up. Even our best efforts at cleaning up still leave a mess. An apology can undo a wildfire. And sometimes when I have conversations with people that know that they've made a mistake, they know that when they said or done something wrong, but there's a step missing that gets us to that place of godly repentance that's spoken about in 2 Corinthians 2.10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. And my usual starting place in a conversation is to think about the things that have been done or have been said to them. I remember a moment for myself of real repentance and sorrow that came, and about the impact of some of my words that had been, and, and it started with understanding the impact of some of the words that had been spoken over me and that had had great power in my life. Often we're not in a place to acknowledge the full extent of how we've caused hurt to others because we haven't had anyone do the same for us. Though we try brush comments under the carpet, some of the words that have been spoken to us have burst open unhealed wounds. Some words have landed and taken root in the very core of our being. 
Words about things that we have done have become things that we have become. And in those moments when I had this realization, I prayed, God, forgive me for all the times that I have done the same, that I have caused hurt to people and caused that I might not even be aware of. God's heart is grieved over every word that is spoken against that which he has created. Now we need to not deceive ourselves about some of the things that come out of our mouths and the effect that they've had. We're not perfect, so things like not getting a good night's sleep and not eating are all going to make us more susceptible to harsh words. But at the end of the day, when we're squeezed, the truth of what is inside us comes out. Even if we do manage to sometimes do a good job of holding our tongue and not saying what we're actually feeling because we know that we shouldn't. Jesus reminds us that the words that come out of our mouths are an indication of the condition of our heart. To deal with our tongues, we need to take a closer look at the condition of our heart. And do some of us not have broken hearts? We desperately need an inner transformation that leads to an outward change. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now, each of us here are at different points on this um, journey of grace. Maybe we feel like we're doing a really good job of, of Christian living. But James reminds us that we're either perfect and able to keep our whole body in check, or we need to recognize that if we even sin once, then we break the whole law. When I found myself in the fiery furnace of lockdown 2020, I felt like up until then I'd done a really good job of protecting the toothpaste tube of my heart. That if I wanted, I could avoid things that were uncomfortable. I could avoid situations and people that might cause me to uh, react in a way that, didn't, that was incompatible with what I felt like it was to be a Christian. And suddenly I could feel my sense, I could feel this sense of losing my grip on the control that I had. Losing my grip on my own methods of control and self-protection. Most of them were good things like looking after myself and coming to church and all these things. And it was a gift from God in that season. But I wasn't prepared for something that would turn my whole life upside down as our, our twins arrived in the world 12 weeks early. And shortly after, we would all experience something, circumstances that most of us could never have imagined as we, um, as we came into our first COVID lockdown. And the rug of all the things that we used to make sure that we were okay was pulled from under our feet. When I was living on blocks of 45 minutes of sleep and without all these things, um, I was honestly horrified at who I was. And it confirmed every bad thought that I'd ever had about myself. Maybe there are times and spaces in your life when you can hardly recognize yourself, where our words and our behaviors are a far cry from the freedom that Jesus called us to. We have a heart problem. We all have a heart problem, and the question is, what are we going to do about it? Well, aside from pointing out to us that no human being can tame the tongue, I was kind of hoping that James might have given us a three-point sermon on what to do. It is possible that we can do some things to protect ourselves from being squeezed, and some of these things are necessary. But the gospel is about so much more than just behavior management. 
In fact, in our very trying to tame the tongue and manage our behavior, we might find ourselves a little bit like Paul describes in Romans 7. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Like my confession of sin earlier, we might feel, uh, we might think it's quite nice that even the Apostle Paul struggled with these things. And as much as it's nice to read it that way, most commentators would agree that actually Paul here is speaking to the Jews that are living under the law. Instead, Paul paints quite a different picture of life that's available to us under the law of the Spirit. That actually because of Jesus Christ, we are now under a new law that gives us freedom. Romans 7 verse 6 says, But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Might it be that if we identify with these words that that Paul has written, that we're still caught in the struggle to do what is right, that we find ourselves living under the old law? And the more that we try and struggle to make changes on our own, the more it seems to have the opposite effect. I remember reading these words years ago and being a little bit confused. Well, what does that mean? Because I still struggle with these things, does that mean that I'm not a Christian? Does that mean that I'm not filled with the Spirit? What am I doing wrong? What do I need to do? And whilst James doesn't give us a solution in chapter 3, he has in fact already done so in chapter 1. Chapter 1 verse 25 says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So what does, it, what does it mean to look intently into the perfect law? Well, it's clear that it's not something that we can just do on our own. That it's not just about reading through God's word and absorbing as much as we can. The prophet Jeremiah wrote these words. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Continues in verse 33. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the law, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Greek Stoic philosopher Epictetus, I haven't been reading Greek philosophy by the way, it's just some commentator said it and I thought it was good. He said, he is free who lives as he wishes to live who is neither subject to compulsion nor hindrance nor to force, whose movements to action are not impeded and whose desires attain their purpose and who does not fall into that which he would avoid. The law that was to be written on our hearts would mean that we would be transformed in such a way that we would freely choose to speak and behave in a way that was pleasing to God. Not like the law which points out what we're doing wrong and then we try not to do it. It can be summed up as this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. In Ezekiel um, chapter 36, we read these words too. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. 
This is the new covenant that Jesus instituted. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us. He gives us a new heart. We are new creations. And it's now, if this is true, what does it mean if we have put our faith in Jesus yet we still go on sinning? James in chapter 1 verse 21 says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. One more scripture. I'm not trying to beat Ian's competition for how many scriptures left, but I couldn't leave out. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we've put ourselves in Jesus, if we've put our faith in Jesus, God's word said that we have died to ourselves. That means that we are who God says we are and who his word says we are and not anyone else. All the words that have been spoken over us no longer have power over us. Instead, we are to humbly accept the word that has been planted in us. We are to acknowledge that the power at work for good within us is Christ's spirit and not ourselves. We're not very good, um, maybe as Scottish people, maybe British, at speaking well of ourselves. But this idea of humbly, we humbly accept because it's who God says we are and not us. And if what we speak flows out of our heart and who we are, whilst we live in the flesh, we have to do the hard work of accepting what God says about us so that we can go on to love others out of that overflow of that love that we have for ourselves. That means we have to take every situation, both past and present, where we've been hurt, where we mess up, where we think badly of ourselves. And we have to go to God and we have to say, God, who do you say I am? To come and to ask for forgiveness, to come and to ask him to heal our broken hearts. The seed is already there, but we have to tend to the soil of our broken hearts. And anything that stands in the way of bringing our whole hearts to God, rejecting, reject, or rejecting what he says about us, so that it would take root and flourish. The, same, the very walls that we have built up to protect the toothpaste tube of our heart are the same walls that can sometimes stop us from coming to God and experiencing the fullness of his spirit. Now, I told you at the beginning that I wasn't going to preach this message, (laughs) that I so wanted God to give me a testimony that I could share before I stood up here. And you know what? I did have a significant encounter with God because God graciously gives wisdom generously to those who ask for it. And by his spirit, he met me in a place and reminded me of who he said I was. And I made a choice to accept this over and above what anyone else has said. But after a period of about two weeks, I found myself messing up again. And this time, though frustrated, quicker than ever before, I leaned into God's love. And I felt like he said to me, Emma, what's more important in this this moment right now than taming your tongue is what you do in those moments after you mess up, after you've done something. I had a choice as to whether or not to continue with the self-hatred and the self-condemnation and the trying to figure it out myself and that wrestling that that we heard about in in, in Romans 7. 
or to run to him over and over again, to be reminded of who God says I am and to trust in him to heal my broken heart and anything that remained that meant that I still operated out of that place of fear and with a lack of self-control, to bring that all before him and his perfect and perfecting love, moment after moment to come back to him and say, I can't do this on my own. Not submitting myself to the law of sin and death, but to living under the law of the Spirit who brings transformation and freedom. Gordon Fee said, our turmoil crowds out the openness to the Spirit himself. As soon as we engage in that wrestling match of, oh no, I've done it again, we miss the opportunity for God's Spirit to come and to do something and to bring about that transformation for us. And you might be thinking, you're supposed to be preaching from James here, Emma, not what does Romans have to do with it? And the book of James is in fact a challenge to fully live the life that we have been called to live. This shouldn't make us think that we're not good enough, that we can never attain to that standard, or that we must try harder. But instead it reminds us of what is actually possible of a life lived in the spirit that we're, that we're reminded about in Romans 8. Go and read Romans 8 afterwards, it's brilliant. Um, we remind ourselves that it's for his glory that we have been set free, that we're in fact striving for something that can come now. It's not that James believes in sinlessness, but as Scott McKnight said, but he does believe that those who have the implanted word can obey the royal law of love, the law that manifests itself in verbal purity. One commentator put it like this, reminding ourselves that we have already been transformed by Christ's love. As we return again and again to the spiritual resources available to us by the indwelling spirit working through the truths of God, and we do so with confidence. There's one more thing that James says that gives us a clue to this problem with our speech. And it's relevant as we, as we look towards uh, communion in a bit. James chapter 1 verse 19, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There's a common theme throughout Jewish literature of this um, link between what we say and, and that which comes out of a place of anger. In Matthew 5, Jesus says these words in his famous Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone says to a brother or sister, Raka, is, available, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. James tells us that our human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Jesus says that our anger that begins with just a thought is tantamount to murder that God already paid the price for our sin by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross, to take upon himself the penalty for all of our sin. 
His response to sin was one of complete righteousness and compassion. He didn't let us off the hook, but at the cross of Jesus, Jesus Christ bore what should have been ours. Justice and mercy were met together. And a choice for us to live in the realm of the kingdom is a choice for us to, and under the perfect law, is a choice for us to accept it for all, to live under its rules. That doesn't mean that we're not angry, but that we take our anger to God and that we put our trust in his perfect justice. The gospel is great news, but it's not just for ourselves. It's for the other too. And in the same way that no human being is able to tame the tongue, also no human being is able to bring about this heart transformation. Not us, not another, only by what Jesus has done. Only God can bring about that heart transformation. It's completely by his grace that he has done so, by the faith of Jesus and the faith that we place in him. And so it's our responsibility to forgive, to be slow to anger. Our hearts towards each other should be the same as God's heart towards us. Our own anger is counterproductive. It never achieves what we desire. Again, to to quote um, Ayodeji Adewuya, he says, anger, retribution, and vindictiveness will not bring about or promote the kingdom of God, which we claim to be seeking. Anger in itself is not wrong. It can drive us towards hope, passion, truth, and justice. But we must bring our anger straight to God. And in him, we find that the justice has already been served. When we bring our anger to God in prayer, we realize that we're not powerless against injustice. And instead, that anger drives us to love. I recognize that this is not an easy journey for some people and for some situations in particular. But the call is for us to persevere until that is that is what we do and that is how we feel. James um, chapter 3 verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Just as the tongue can be such a powerful force for evil, so we too can harness its power for good. With transformed hearts, we can be people that bless others. We can be people who, who can remind others, who see the people that, where people have been made in God's likeness, who they really are, and we can speak into that. As we um, come to communion in a few moments, I want to think about some words that were penned by Henry Nouwen. And um, perhaps I'll invite the worship team to come up just now as I, as I read these words. In the face of the oppressed, I recognize my own face. And in the hands of the oppressor, I recognize my own hand. Their flesh is my flesh. Their blood is my blood. Their pain is my pain. Their smile is my smile. Their ability to torture is in me too. Their capacity to forgive, I find also in myself. There is nothing in me that does not belong to them too. Nothing in them that does not belong to me. In my heart, I know they're yearning for love. And down to my entrails, I can feel their cruelty. 
In another's eyes, I see my plea for forgiveness. And in a hardened frown, I see my refusal. When someone murders, I know that I too could have done that. When someone gives birth, I know that I am capable of that as well. I have questions about that one. but <laughs> In the depths of my being, I meet my fellow humans with whom I share love and have life and death. And so as we come to the table to share in, commun- in a communion supper, a symbol of this new covenant that we've been talking about, it's a table of, uni- of unity for all who believe, whoever we are and whatever we have done. A meal that Jesus shared with his friends, his disciples, and even Judas, whose words would later betray him. As we come to the table that reminded that we are all on the same team against the battle, in the battle against sin which has reigned in our bodies that leads to death. And in fact, that battle has already been won. We all have victory only because of what Jesus had done for us. And participating in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we die to ourselves and we are raised to new life in him. And we come to the table that we might be renewed in life and salvation and made one by his spirit. It's not just a symbol, but also what we call a means of grace. That means that Christ is present with us by his spirit. That in the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup, that he meets us in it in the same way that our new hearts are not of our own making. In this simple act of obedience, he comes and he meets us. Together we confess our faith that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus, who persevered not just through suffering, but to the very end of himself. Thank you that in his death, in his resurrection, that we have new life. Thank you that that promise to give us new hearts is for all who believe in Christ Jesus. And so as we come and as we, as we meet with you in these moments, God, I pray that you would come and that you would do something in us, that you would bring about that transformation that only you can. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.